You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hi, this is Paul Phelps, co-founder of Outer Loop Coaching and OuterloopCoaching.com. And here this week, I'm going to talk with you about who wrote the songs. Three methodologies that I could recommend for deciding what percentage of the song is owned by who in the songwriting credits. This is a, can be a huge part of what breaks up bands. So it's great to make decisions now early in the career when these decisions are cheap rather than later on when they can get very, very expensive. So if you've got a song that's getting played on radio, getting streams, there's publishing income that comes in for the songwriters of that song. And so deciding on what percentage of those songwriting credits is uh, applied to whom can be very lucrative for uh, those people when it goes into the future as far as that airplay is concerned. So three methodologies. First one, socialist. Second, pacifist. Third, capitalist. Let's go through them. The socialist style would be that the members of the band each share equally in the songwriting credits. This is something that Queen did later in their career. It's something that U2 has done for virtually their entire career, possibly the whole thing, and has been very, very uh, uh, helpful in keeping those band members together because they share equally in the revenue that the songs generate, even when only one or two of the people in the band actually were the ones who wrote the song. Second style, pacifist. If It's like giving a participation trophy. If you were part of the creation of the song before going in the studio, or maybe even if the song changed and adjusted while in the studio, if you were part of that participation, then you get credit for the song. Now, that percentage may be completely equal for everybody. There may be some sort of a uh, uh, little extra for coming up with the verse and the chorus with the melody and a little less for just coming up with the drum beat and that sort of thing. But if you take part in the writing of the song, you get a credit. That's the pacifist style and is a way that a lot of people do it. Now, the third style is very popular, especially with uh, uh, when bringing in outside songwriters and, and that sort of thing. And that's the capitalist style. So if everybody who has actually contributed to songwriting, meaning the chords, the melody, all the important parts of this, what makes the song the song, those people get percentages based on how much of that actually is theirs. Now, there can be a lot of negotiation that goes into this, especially when there's money involved, but it's a great way to try to actually get the people who are contributing uh, uh, songwriting and working on writing the songs to actually continue to do so because there'll be financial reward for doing so. Now, one of those styles, whatever you choose to do, is something that you're going to want to do for the, at least for every for each album that you record. For this album, we're going to do this style, this album, another, that sort of thing, or do it for your entire career. But the most important thing is to communicate to everybody in the band, everybody in the recording process, and everybody who is a part of uh, when that song is being created as to how much credit they are or are not going to get 
in the publishing. So uh, consider doing that for sure, no matter what you do, as far as determining songwriting credit percentages. All right, so thank you very much. Next week, what am I doing next week? Next week, we're going to talk about... Uh, should you bring in an outside songwriter? That's what we're going to talk about next week. So this is Paul from Outer Loop Coaching, outerloopcoaching.com. Come to outerloopcoaching.com. We got a free ebook by Outer Loop founder, Outer Loop president, Mike Mowry on the Music Manager Primer. It's a free ebook. Come down, come get it. And uh, there's also a number of really great courses, including our Release It Right program, which has been huge and been helpful to a lot of different careers. All right. Thank you very much. Paul from Outer Loop Coaching. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. I'm your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry. What up, Blasco? All about this 102. So much fun rocking out on those episodes 100 and 101, and uh, ready for another one, my man. Yeah, let's do it. In the last episode, we chatted about industry predictions for 2019. Those were really great episodes, so check them out if you haven't already. Uh, this week, we talk about some basic concepts for success in the music business. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Yeah, boy. So, Mike, um, I ran across another article with uh, 10 Steps by Bobby Owinski on Hypebot. He seemed to have been cranking them out at the end of 2018. So um, here we go. We're going to do episode one, which will be the first five basic concepts for success. And then the next episode will be the following five basic concepts for success in today's music business. Starts off like this. Big bad Bobby coming in hot. <laughs> coming into 2019 on fire. Uh, much has changed in the music industry over the last few years that affect an artist's ability to be successful. Some of it is brand new and a result of the technology we use, while some of it is good common sense that's been used over and over and over many decades of the business. Here are 10, we're going to feature five, basic business concepts that an artist, musician, producer, or songwriter needs to grasp in order to be successful in today's music environment. Number one. It's all about scale. You can't think about numbers the same way as in the old days when sales ruled. A hit that sells only 50,000 combined units, album and single, may have 500 million YouTube views or Spotify streams or more. Once upon a time, a sales number like that would have been deemed a failure. Today, it's a success. 
views don't equal sales and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, this is always key to remember. You've got to compare apples with apples and oranges with oranges. And as much as, you know, we like to you know, we spoke about this in the last few episodes, you know, we're always looking for a common ground from which to compare the relative size of artists. Now that said, you know, when you're out there and you're developing, you know, you really just need to focus on, on you. And it is important to keep yourself apprised of what the numbers actually mean. Uh, so you can kind of measure your relative growth and your relative success, but he's exactly right. Times have changed. Um, and in some ways for the better, some ways maybe for the worse, but inevitably they've changed and there's nothing that we can do about that part of it. So, you know, paying attention to the metrics, um, you know, for each individual platform and then, you know, common ways from which to measure yourself and your growth is, is vitally important. And yeah, I would say is, is absolutely a, a basic concept for success. Yeah. And uh, look, I will add this since we're talking basic concepts and since we're talking to uh, brand newbies, independent artists, um, 500 million YouTube views and 50,000 sales are, you know, maybe a little out of reach at present. So don't be daunted by those numbers. But I think what's important here is to focus on your metrics, even, even if they're small, right? It's a matter of detecting growth. And I'll give you a very quick example. Um, on my Instagram, I've been running a little experiment based on some things that I've read. And uh, one of which is like uh, post photos of things that you notice get the most likes, post photos um, and stick to that content for two weeks and see if that grows your engagement, right? Now, unfortunately for my Instagram, photos of me get more likes than photos of my cats. And <laughs> I would prefer that photos of my cats got more likes. That way I could post more photos of them and less photos of myself. So it feels less gross, you know, on, on some level. However, I'm rolling with the experiment and here's what I've learned. So my photos in general get somewhere in the neighborhood of like four or 500 likes, right? It's not crazy, but I've got like 30,000 followers. But so I've noticed that it's certain, like if I post a video or a certain photo, I've noticed that those were getting in the thousands of likes. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to pay attention to my metrics. I'm going to pay attention to my engagement. So today, as a matter of fact, I posted a photo that I thought was going to get a lot of likes. And what's important to note too, is that the, with Instagram algorithm, your first 15 minutes of your post is the most important. And that's going to dictate how the post is going to do apparently. So in the first 15 minutes of this, of this post, I only had like 85 likes and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. This must not be catching for one reason or another. It might be because on the photo, there was a watermark and maybe the algorithm detected that as like some type of advertising or something. I'm not really sure. Either way, it wasn't hitting. So I deleted it and I posted a different photo that I thought would be engaging. Sure enough, in the first 15 minutes, I had 385 likes and now it's well into the thousands, right? So Anyway, long-winded point here, but I think that I'm taking this 
the ter- term to be all about scale is pay attention to your metrics, pay attention to what works. Eventually you'll get there to the 500 million YouTube views, but you got to pay attention to the first hundred, first thousand, first hundred thousand, right? Pay attention, listen to what your fans like. Cause that's the good thing about all this is that people now tell you what they like. And if something isn't working, delete it, start over. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, uh, number two, the scale is not the same. In the past, one million of anything was considered a large number and meant you were a success. Today, anything with that number hardly gets a mention, as it takes at least 10 million streams or views to get a label or manager's attention. 50 million is only a minor hit, while a major hit is in the hundreds of millions. Yeah, and of course, this makes sense. I mean, in the past, the way that numbers were measured was by you actively had to do something. Usually that's, uh, you know, part with, you know, cash. In order to buy a CD, you had to go and use money to purchase that, you know, or vinyl or whatever it may be. Same with tickets, same with t-shirts. So it was really a, a, a way to, I mean, if you're going to have a million of you know, people do that, literally go and have to actively do something, then that's going to mean much more than in this sense, it's a little bit more passive. You know, yes, people have to actively pick up their phone or whatever it is. And, you know, if, if, you know, we think from the last episode where they're yelling to their uh, smart speaker, you know, hey, whichever it is, play such and such song, it's more of a, it's less of an active thing. And the uh, obligation to part with cash each and every time uh, that something is measured isn't there. Meaning, you know, you might have to pay for Spotify premium services or Apple's premium service, but you're not having to do that each and every time that you go to, um, you know, to, to listen to it. So it, of course, makes sense. And, you know, again, I think we've got, if you think about it, I've just talked about you know, ways that people listen to music or consume music and then, you know, ticket sales. Well, ticket sales is still, you know, part of that older model or, or the other one where you're actively having to do something, whereas things are, this is passive. So it is not only is the scale not the same, but just within, you know, different segments of the business, uh, there's still going to be some holdover as well as some new ways of, of measuring it. So it is important that you're not only paying attention to whether you're on an old scale or a new scale, but what segment you're, you're actually looking at. Mike, I'd like to refer to this as digital inflation, meaning that over the years, YouTube hasn't gotten less popular. It's gotten more popular. And as it gets more popular, more people subscribe to it and more people use it. So in the event that when 1 million streams was significant, it makes sense that over time, as the platform gets bigger and more readily used, that 10 million is now the new 1 million. So, and, and that's going to change, right? Eventually that's going to be 25 million and it's going to be 50 million. And that's just the way that it rolls, but it's in context, right? Um, but like, look, let's not, let's not get crazy here. I mean, I personally still think that if you're a brand new band and you can score 1 million views of your video, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, that, 
Agreed. That, that, yeah, it's definitely a great that, start. That <laughs> is still pretty good. And um, you are getting my attention at 1 million views. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think here that, you know, it's, it's only at the 10 million marker that labels and managers are paying attention. I, I'm still paying attention. If you've got a million views or you've got a million followers or you've got a million fucking anything, I'm, I'm paying attention. So, um, you know, don't, don't, anyone listening, don't go like, oh my God, 10 million is the, is, is the basis for when someone's going to notice me. No, that isn't the case. It is, it is going to have to be a significant number. Um, but that isn't, that doesn't mean everything, you know? Um, so, you, you know, maybe you've got 500,000, but you've got 500,000 hyper engaged people. And maybe on your video that has 500,000 views has 250,000 comments or something to where people are just can't stop talking about it. That means something too, right? Um, so, you know, don't take this metric to heart so much, but there is some truth in it. Ready for a headbangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Um, number three, there will be fewer digital distributors in the future. It's an expensive business to get into and maintain. So in the near future, there will be a shakeout that will leave far fewer digital competitors. Don't be shocked when you wake up one day to find a few gone. Yeah, I mean, this almost doesn't seem like a basic concept. It seems more like, you know, on our last uh, episodes where we covered predictions. That said... You know, I don't think he's wrong. We talked about, you know, Spotify and Apple being more of the Cokes and the Pepsis and whatever it may have been. So I, I, you know, again, I think the, the concept that I would encourage, the basic concept based on this point is that's stuff we can't really control, right? Mm -hmm. What we can control as artist managers and those of you that are out there listening, what you can control is making your product as good as possible, you know, and having it fit within the confines of what people want to potentially hear. And, you know, as Blasco dubbed, uh, you know, the, uh, the streaming edit, I believe, was uh, the term that you you <laughs> coined for us, so we can look back and you know I'll give I'll give credit to to where credit is due, but you know I mean if if shorter songs are what's going to you know be the um, is going to emerge, then paying attention to that sort of stuff. Yeah, and look, I mean, if anything here, maybe the cons, the basic concept is focus your attention on platforms that are winning. Um, don't knowing that eventually some of these things are going to burn out. Don't spend a lot of attention on maybe any of these secondary streaming sites. Um, you know, I, I, I would spend a lot more effort on Spotify than I would on say, I don't know, Pandora or something. Um, you know, but that's just a, that's just an example. So that's, that's what I pull out of this one, I guess. Um, Got it. Number four, it's all about what you can do for other people. Promoters, agents, and club owners are dying to book you if they know you'll make them money. 
record labels are dying to sign you if you have if you have an audience that they can sell to. Managers will want to sign you if you have a line around the block waiting to see you. If you can't do any of the above, your chances of success decrease substantially. Yeah, we've always talked about, at least from the managerial perspective, and I think this applies across the board to industry professionals. I mean, you know, it's where can we come in and add value? Where is it that we see you've gotten to a point that it makes it, you know, worthwhile for us to come in and add whatever it is, our experience, our resources, uh, you name it, our connections, and be able to take you from a place where, you know, you've already proven that there is an audience for you and be able to amplify that audience. And I think that is one of the most basic concepts in today's music business. And this is a, a home run of a point here. Yeah. I mean, look, there is a lot of truth in this. Um, and you know, you, you gotta have some value. I mean, in this day and age, someone, a a game changer, someone that can change your life, someone that can change your career, right. And give you a career in this business can look at your numbers and will think to themselves, there is a fan base here, or there is not a fan base here. And if there's a fan base here, I know what to do with this because there's fans. And if there isn't a fan base here, I don't know what to do with this because I don't know how to create fans. If the band puts their music out there and people don't like it, we only do the same thing. And what what can we do differently than they're doing? They're putting it on the same places that we all have access to, right? So there is some truth to it. Um, there's, there's a lot of truth to it. Doesn't mean that maybe you're part of some super niche genre and there's underground labels that are all about it. And, and, you know, it's not about a line around the block to them. It's about, you know, playing to a club to 50 people and selling a thousand records at, at, you know, at shows or whatever, you know what I mean? There's different scale for different size uh, genres, right. And scenes or whatever. Um, I've got a band that, that occasionally asks for my advice and, I have no idea why, because they never take it. And so, but I, I, I feel they're friends. So I feel, you know, obligated to give them advice while they're asking. And, you know, this is one of those things where this is relative to them in that, you know, they're like, and th- they constantly put themselves in a situation to where like, man, we need an agent. We need an agent. Like you think so-and-so will like, you know, like take, you know, take us as, as like a band on their roster or whatever. And I'm like, I go, you have to be in a position to have a line around the block, for instance, like they're saying here. And I use it metaphorically. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, can you see if there's any buy-ons for us? You know, and they want to buy onto tours and they want to be that. And I go, look, man, I got to tell you that as soon as you become the buy-on band, no one is really all that, like, no one's really thinking that they're giving you much respect. Because you're now putting yourself in a position of you're the buy on band. And you can't think that if like you're only valuable to them to the the band that you're giving money to. That's why they're responding to your emails, you know. But you gotta, you, you know, you have to be careful. Anyway, my long winded point here is you have to be careful about what you do and don't be don't be concerned by, oh my God, we don't have a line around the block yet. Or, you know, we, we don't, um, we're not making, we're not making ourselves money yet. Therefore we can't make anybody else money. These things will happen in time. You know, you have to, you do have to get there. Um, but you know, be careful. I I think that's my point. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, echoing on what you just said, I mean, everybody wants a shortcut. We all do, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the other thing that came up in my mind is, you know, I talk about it a lot. There's, there's the rule and then there's exceptions and everyone can point to the band that had no line around the block that had, you know, none of the things that we, you know, echo Bobby's point of a, of a basic concept. That doesn't mean that it's a, you know, that it's going to happen each and every time. I always say, you know, look at the rule. And if you're the exception, be damn grateful. And if you're just trying to be the exception, you know, you got to realize that your chances of that happening is probably about as good as, as, you know, playing, playing Powerball or something. Yeah. Number five, money often comes late. It may not seem like it, but success is slow. You grow your audience one fan at a time. The longer it takes, the more likely you'll have a long career. An overnight sensation usually means you'll also be forgotten overnight. This is one thing that hasn't changed much through the years. Yeah, I mean, regardless of what it is, you know, a band is like a very small business. And, you know, not only does money come late, even when it starts to come and indicators of other portions, you know, of your career that are that are looking like success, there's a lag between when that happens and when the money comes. Take, for instance, you know, I've got a client that, you know, uh, had a release come out uh, fourth quarter of last year, did incredibly well, Um, you know. Other signs that we are looking for are pointing that the artist is going in the right direction. But inevitably, as I've seen with plenty of other artists that I've been in at this stage, there's going to be a lag sometimes, you know, a year to a year and a half between when, you know, that first real indicator that we've arrived, you know, uh, because, you know, more things have to build from there, you know, so that the, the time period between when that indicator appears and when the financial reward actually manifests is going to take some time. And I think that's one of the hardest concepts, um, you know, for, for artists, especially those of you that, you know, you didn't get into this business, you didn't get into music in order to be in the business. So I think just if you've feel like you're doing it right. And, you know, you're getting indicators that you are doing it right. Understand that, that it does, there is a lag, things do take time. Um, and if you're able to, to, you know, um, be patient, then, you know, the, the rewards do eventually come. Yeah, man. I mean, you got to measure your success by how much music you make. Not by how much money you make, not in the beginning. In the beginning, it's all about measuring your success on music. Do you have a band together? Do you guys rehearse? Do you, do you write? Do you play shows? Are you like, how much time are you spending on your music, right? In a week, like, are you rehearsing, booking shows, showing up to shows, going on the internet, getting followers, selling merch, putting, you know, building a merch store, selling merch, like, like measure your success and how much time that you can put into music. And then, and only then will the money come. But if you're getting into this business with the intent of how much money I can make, as opposed to how much music I can make, you are fucked from the beginning because you have to get in this business because you're passionate. I think if anyone listened to 
my uh, A New Level podcast, the one thing that you can pull out of everyone that I interviewed is that they're the common thread is passion. And they all got in this business because of their passion for the music, not because they thought this was going to be some get rich quick scheme, you know? And um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've heard you say that in the past on the podcast, you know, measuring by the music over the money. And I think that's amazing, you know, uh, and, and something that really is understated. And so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And you're right. I mean, when you did those episodes, you interviewed some amazing people. If you guys haven't heard that, go check it out. It's on the Jabberjaw Media Network page. And it's 10 fantastic interviews that Blasco did with, you know, top level, you know, industry professionals. And you're right. They talk about how they got into it for the right reasons and they were able to make it work. And I think that's a really, really amazing point. And that is, that is the most basic of all these concepts. Why are you doing this? If you're doing it just to get rich, you and I have both mentioned tons of times, there's other industries and other ways that have a higher success rate and probably, you know, a better return on investment. You got to want this. And, you know, if you, if you want it, you do things right, you do them consistently, and you catch a couple breaks, that's when you get yourself into the position that you actually are starting to make some money off of it. Yep. And he wraps up the article like this. I'm sure you'll agree that the music business is both exciting and invigorating in its current form. It's not dying and it's not wilting, unlike what you'll hear and read from the old school naysayers. It is constantly evolving and progressing, and those who don't progress with it will fall behind. That said, these currently five concepts will help anyone navigate the road to success. And that concludes episode 102. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike O'Loop. And if you are looking for a way to get a competitive advantage in this crazy thing called the music business don't hesitate to check out outerloopcoaching.com where you can download my free music management primer as well as look at a couple different courses that we offer so blasco thanks again for a fantastic uh episode our boy bobby coming in hot in 2019 <laughs> uh mr hypebot himself bobby oswinski and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, the next five basic concepts that we're doing uh, on that next episode. Thanks, everyone. Peace. For a head-bangingly good time, dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. 
we welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.